Good morning, everyone. Faith Bible, we're uh, we're going live here again on uh, another Sunday morning. Our second in a row here, having to do the live stream. Um, hope everyone's able to to click in and and get joined in here with us uh, on this Sunday morning on March 29th. Um, while we're giving a chance for everybody to log in uh, and and catch up on the feed, uh, background's different than than last time. I did not install fancy new wood bookshelves in the office. Uh, I'm actually here at my folks' house in Waco. We're holed up here, uh, having to ride out the shelter in place thing in between houses and getting moved in and all that stuff. So we've been sheltering in place here, which means I get to have this really stately looking uh, library behind me for a backdrop, although I am wearing the same shirt because haven't got to go home <laughs> since since last week. But uh, thankfully through the screen, you can't, you don't, you can't really uh, tell if it's smelly or not because the internet doesn't have smell-o-vision. Anyways, we're going to be getting together here again on this Sunday. I hope week two of quarantine is is doing okay for you guys. Um, I spent the last couple of days just trying to, to call through and talk to everybody from church again. I didn't get to everybody, so if I didn't get to you, then, then uh, I'll try to either knock that out today or tomorrow, and for no other reason but just wanting to uh, stay connected, just wanting to... Um, you know, know how people are. If there's anything that that uh, I can be doing, ways that I could be praying for you, uh, ways your whole church could be praying for you. I mean, that's one thing that that if I can know about it and you're okay with it, passing it along to others, and we can get more people praying, um, helping, thinking along those lines. Um, so feel free to to share those um, and to to bring those up because we want to be praying. We want to know how you're doing and what's going on and, and, and how you're able to, to manage uh, the, the craziness of, of the season that we're living in currently, uh, not only as a church, but as a nation. So hope everyone's doing well. Um, we'll go ahead and get started. So this morning we're going to do something a little bit similar to what we did last time, just kind of have um, a big idea that I want to read something from that same guy I quoted last week, Francis Grimke, who was a African-American pastor in 1918, and that's going to kind of come into play this morning, um, because he was not only African-American, but this is during the Spanish flu. This is the last time the United States asked churches to not meet together in order to stop the spread of a disease that was harming a lot of people. That back then this was a lot worse. There's 20, 30, 40 people dying a day uh, in major cities like D.C. and others. Um, but uh, still significant and relatable for us. Uh, so I'm going to read a little bit of what he had to say about this. Then we're going to get into a Bible passage. What we're going to be looking at is we're going to look at Psalm 62. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like to. Psalm 62, we're going to look at that whole psalm. It's just 12 verses, really timely for us. In, in the season that we're in uh, as believers here, not only just in the United States, but globally. So we're going we're gonna to pull that apart. And then we're going to look at a, a big question. 
And the big question ties into kind of our, our big idea at the front of the front end of what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, and that is this. When I was in seminary, we had a systematic theology class, and the professor said something that I'll never forget for two reasons. One, it was a super profound statement. But two, when he said it, he sounded like Grover from Sesame Street because he kind of had that voice already, but he had a cold. And so we got to talk like Grover, so I'll never forget it. Uh, but he said this. He said, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. Now, let me say that again. The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. So when God, the God, the concept, term, idea comes into your brain, what are you thinking about? Whatever that is in your mind, that's the most important thing about you. And when he said that, I was like, that's, I guess that's true. That sounds pretty true. Uh, but when he kind of unpacked it a little bit, I was like, yeah, you know, that, that is true. That, that's the most important thing about us. I mean, the, if, think about the, the fill in the blank here. God is dot, dot, dot. How do you fill that in? Particularly, how do you fill that in? God is blank. What is he? Who is he? And, and we, could, we say a lot of things with confidence. God is love. God is light. God is this. God is that. God is these things. And where I got challenged in that class was, do I have chapter and verse to back that up? Not in like a like an arrogant way of like, you don't know anything. Hey, he didn't come across like that. And I, or hopefully I'm not coming across like that right now. Um, but this is vital. Who is God? Now, I once heard, R.C. Sproul said one time, the greatest problem with the American church is we don't know who God is. Whenever anybody says, especially somebody who has the clout of an R.C. Sproul, somebody who's had a global impact for many, many years, um, says the greatest problem with the American church is, whatever comes after that uh, is going to be pretty important and pretty well informed as well. I mean, we all can think like, this got this problem. We've got a lot of problems. We're not saying we don't have a lot of problems. But the greatest problem in his mind was we don't know who God is. And, and again, when, he, when we hear that, we're, we're conditioned to, uh, and to uh, the major truths around the person and work of Jesus Christ, as we should be. It's, it's vitally important that we affirm the virgin birth, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, um, the hypostatic union, meaning that he's truly God and truly man at the exact same time uh, and doesn't blend or dilute or separate any of those things. Uh, those are huge, those are hugely important things. But do we know who God is? Jesus as necessarily God and therefore a member of the Trinity, not divided from God, but very God of very God, as an old creed says. Do we know who God is? And why does that help us 
in a time like this, knowing who God is. The, the, the angle I'm coming at from that is this, like in this season where everything is just weird. Uh, talking to a lot of y'all uh, the past couple of weeks, just on the phone, there's folks who are like, man, this is great. <laughs> like I'm getting to relax, fix things around the house, spend tons of time with my kids. Other people are, uh, are enjoying the rest, but also a little nervous. Uh, my, my job might be in jeopardy. Uh, I haven't been able to talk to my, or go visit my elderly family member. I don't know how they're doing. So in this time of uncertainty, whether it's welcome or unwelcome, we can tend to, I know I can tend to focus inwardly or, or look to human means and sources for help or for solution. That, and that shows me that I don't understand who humans are. I don't understand what people are. I don't understand who I am. And what I need to, to focus in on is not doing a vast deep study on me or on people necessarily. But first we need to study who God is. Why, why is there even such thing as a coronavirus? That, that necessarily ties back to who is man, what is man, and what is God? Who is man and who is God? Looking at those things is huge because a, a moment like this where this virus is coming and just shutting down everything a microscopic invisible thing shutting down everything harming lots of people killing some people we're vastly aware of i am not god i am not sovereign my best defense against something that can kill me is to just stand six feet away from other people and wash my hands that's all we got we don't have a bomb that could take this thing out we don't have a laser that can stop this thing i mean it's very it's humbling and we should be humble that's a right and, and good response for us to to come about and that's that's what uh francis grimke brought up i want to read to you again uh from what he said if you don't remember what, what this he, he called this some reflections growing out of the recent epidemic of influenza that afflicted our city so after the church was allowed to meet again in washington dc Grimke, that's the pastor of this church, says 10th, 10th Street Presbyterian Church. He got up and uh, and just gave some reflections. Things he noticed when the churches were closed. Uh, and then as this flu, Spanish flu, just kind of wrecked all the way through Washington, D.C., incredibly populous city. Uh, then and now, of course, um, actually, he's the 15th Street Presbyterian pastor. Not 10th. I got that wrong. But this, he said this. And he, remember, he's saying this as an African-American pastor, 1918. Racism is still deep. Jim Crow laws are still around. Um, I mean, it's still deep. It, it, it's always around in every society. Uh, but in particular in the American post-Civil War, I mean, people are still alive who fought in the Civil War uh, in 1918. So listen to what he said. This is his fifth observation. He said, another thing that has impressed me in connection with this epidemic is how completely it has shattered the theory so dear to the heart of the white man in this country that a white skin entitles its possessor to better treatment 
than one who possesses a dark skin. And it's a pretty bold thing for a guy like that to say, but man, he's, it's the truth. And he says this later on, he says, did the epidemic pause to see whether his skin was white or black before smiting him? He's looking at this and he goes, you know what the disease kind of just proved that every human being, regardless of their skin tone, was vulnerable. Every human being, people all across the racial spectrum were dying from this. That this disease was no respecter of, of pigmentation in your skin. He's, I mean, and if anything should tell us that we're all in the same boat, it's something as painfully as obvious as that. You're just as vulnerable to the disease as I am. He says that your, your white skin didn't help you uh, evade the, the, the painful misery of the Spanish flu any more than it did me. He said this kind of in a general sense, kind of looking at all of this. Again, this is in the purpose of realizing that we're not God and then lifting our eyes up to study and to learn and to worship the one who is God. He says this, in earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, tidal waves, in disasters on sea and land, the same great lesson is taught. Under such circumstances, of what avail is the color of a man's skin or his race identity? What does the lightning, the thunderbolt, the burning lava, the sea care about color or race? White and black alike are dealt with indiscriminately. The one who is smitten as readily as the other, the one is swallowed up as readily as the other, and that is the lesson which God is teaching everywhere through the operation of natural laws. Now that's one thing uh, that we can pull away. One in a, in, a, in a series of things we can pull away from this pandemic is that it's when, when coronavirus hits the United States and, and crosses over onto our shores, it doesn't knock on the door and say, wait, how much do you make? Okay, I'll leave you guys alone. I'm only going to mess with the poor people. Or uh, he's not going to wait. We go, oh, wait, uh, what nationality are you? Where are you from? I mean, it's it's infecting everybody. Now, we know that, the, that from just health experts that those who are, who are older and have health issues are more vulnerable. People are still getting it. The, the first people to get it in Collin County were in their 30s and a three-year-old, their kid. No respecter of persons. Still get it. So what we look at of all of this is that we are vulnerable. We are not God. And we're the most advanced civilization in the history of the universe, particularly in the West and particularly in the United States. And yet, we had nothing to prepare us for this, and we still don't have a way to stop it from harming us. The best the government can do is say, stay away from each other, wash your hands, and don't touch your face. That's it. That's your defense. Those are your tanks and ammunitions and, and, and technology against a lethal force. That, I mean, that humbles us. And I'm sure there's many of you who are 
uh, maybe even fearful that this this is a time of great fear because maybe you, maybe you do have asthma, maybe you do have uh, underlying health conditions, or you're you're in that age bracket, or or you're not. You just know that when you get the flu, it always wrecks you way worse. Now, this could be a time of great panic, but what we can use it for is a time of of fleeing to God and of acknowledging that he is God and we are not. And that is not a, a begrudging, like finally, okay, God, I'm going to hand this over to you. That is the most freeing thing in the world. You are God and I am not. I'm so thankful that I'm not God that I'm not relying on me. I'm not relying on my spouse or my kids or my friends. There is a God. God is dot, dot, dot. That's what we're gonna look at in Psalm 62. We're gonna fill in some of those dots. Now, obviously, one, one Psalm with 12 verses is not going to enlighten us to everything that God is. We're not going to do that. We're not even, I mean, for one, God is infinite. But for two, the Bible says a lot more about God than what we're going to look at here in Psalm 62. But we're going to look at a few of these. And and my goal in doing this is, is manyfold. The first one being just for you to have things that you know about God that you can say with confidence, this is what God is, at least in part, who he is. And we're going to look at these comforting terms in Psalm 62. So here's what I want to look at, or how's I'm going to run at it. We're going to, I'm going to read through it. I would encourage you to read along with me. Um, if you want to read out loud, and it's not going to bother me because I can't hear you. Uh, but read it. We're going to read through it just to kind of get the whole flow of the psalm. Uh, and then I'm going to, we'll go through it and just kind of key in on a few things. I'll comment on it as we go through, and then afterwards, we'll pull some takeaways from it. Some big ideas, connecting some of the dots that are internally in this psalm, and then also throughout all the scriptures. What we want to be doing always when we study the Bible uh, is asking this question is, where else does it say that? In a sense, how are we connecting the Bible uh, to itself? Because what we're always after is, is showing to the world, but more importantly, proving to ourselves, this is a coherent text written by one author who used 40 plus sub authors, and it makes sense. And it's consistent throughout that God has one message for all people in all times and all places everywhere. So let's read Psalm 62. Verse one. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. 
for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken twice, I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that you, O Lord, to you, O Lord, belong steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. It's a perfect psalm. Time for us. The, now, for the Psalms, if you read through your Bible and occasionally you'll see that it says book one, book two, book three, there's five books in the Psalms, meaning collections in the Psalms, and this is in book two. Now, the books of the Psalms, it thematically, broadly, connect to the Pentateuch, the, the, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This Psalm, Psalm 62, is in book two, and that connects with the Exodus. And Exodus, we know the book of Exodus, what's it all about? It's about exiting. It's about being delivered, being redeemed, being rescued, that God does that, that he rescues his people. Then he gives to him his law, which is like us as Christians, that we are saved first, then instructed on how to live. And so the, the theme in book two of the Psalms, um, which ends at Psalm 72, uh, is deliverance and rescue and redemption. And that comes through Christ. We know that that comes through Christ. David here is going to be talking directly to God about deliverance, about stability, about rescue, about salvation. Now look at these verses. Verse 1, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Now that verse is repeated again in verse 5, or, or roughly about the same way in verse 5. For God alone my soul waits in silence. He alone, verse 2, is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. Now, are, are you filling in a few of those? God is dot, dot, dot. What does it say verse, as far as verses 1 and 2? What is God? He is salvation. He is my rock. He is my fortress. So we've got three so far. I shall not be greatly shaken. I will not be shaken, moved, harmed, um, broken beyond repair, damaged, lost, forgotten, abandoned. I will not be greatly shaken. Now, David's living in a, in a particular moment. Uh, here, we don't know the exact circumstances, but he's got human enemies. Verses 3 and 4, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him? So he's talking to, he was talking to God, now he's talking to enemies. How long are you going to attack me to batter me and harm me? Um, and then he says, he describes who they are in verse 4. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. David's king being thrust down. They want to remove him or he's at least been anointed king by this point. 
Um, they take pleasure in falsehood. These are bad guys. They love lies. They love evil. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Hypocrites. That's what he has coming after him uh, in this moment in life. We don't have a human enemy right now, uh, but we do have a, a, a very physical and very real enemy. We have a very real evil coming against us at this virus and the things that it affects in and around us. I mean, we're not avoiding each other because we just think it would be fun. We're not um, forsaking assembling together in church on Sunday mornings because we just needed a break. We're doing that because of some result of the fall, some level of, uh, of evil. Like that, that's why it's happening. So there's a very real presence of that. And, and we're, we're good and right to call it evil uh, because it is. The, the, there's no pandemics in the Garden of Eden. That comes after Genesis 3. So in verse 5, though, he picks back up and he repeats himself again. But notice it's different. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. How is that different from verse 1? What does verse 1 say? It's that in verse 1, he's stating a fact. My soul does indeed wait for God alone in silence. But that's not how it's in, phrased in verse 5. In verse 5, David is speaking to his own soul. He says, soul, for God alone, wait in silence. So he said, as a, as a matter of fact in verse 1, this is what my soul does. It waits for God alone in silence. But then he's preaching to himself by verse 5. In the same thought, as he's writing down, that's one of the most beautiful things about the Psalms that we have, is that what we have is somebody's quiet time. This is David's private prayer life recorded for us and inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're reading divinely authored and inspired quiet times of saints. That's what the Psalms are. It's the, it's the songbook for the church. And so David is, he states a fact. This is what my soul does. It waits for God in silence in verse one. But then in verse five, he's preaching to himself. Soul, wait for God alone in silence. Now, do you ever have to do that? Do you ever have a, a, uh, a, a fact that you know about yourself and about your relationship with God, about your salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, but then you find yourself preaching that to yourself? I hope so, because that's what David does. We all need to be doing that, that we know something is verifiably true, but our, the flesh is, is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jerry Bridges, an author and guy who gave his life to the Navigators, he said, I preach the gospel to myself every day, not because he needed to get saved every day, not because he was worried about um, losing his salvation and he wanted to make sure that he was good to go every day. No, he preaches the gospel to himself because he needs to believe what is true. I am a sinner. I am impotent. I cannot save myself. I am hopeless without the Lord Jesus Christ. But my faith is in him, and therefore this is what he says to me. All who come to me I will never cast out. And that he is making me a new creature. I am a new creature, and he's making me new. And he will complete the good work that he started. He's just preaching the gospel to himself 
every day. That's what David's doing in the middle of this psalm. In the middle of pain, in the middle of season of persecution, of suffering of some kind, he's saying, soul, wait for God alone. Why? Verse 5 says, for my hope is from him. My hope is from God. So God is dot, 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 the source of my hope. I don't have hope anywhere else. It's only sourced in him. Look at verse six. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Similar to verse two. He only is my rock. Verse two says, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And here he gets even stronger. I will not be shaken at all. So it went from greatly shaken, like I'm not going to get a big colossal shaking coming. But in verse 6, I'm not even going to be shaken a little bit. I'm not going to be shaken at all. That's the confidence that he has in God, who is his fortress, his rock, and his salvation. We're filling in more of that. Who is God? Well, to the believer, he is rock, salvation, fortress, hope. That's what he is. Now, did you, did you notice in verses 1, 2, 5, and 6 that there's a, a singularity to God? For God alone, my soul waits. He alone is my rock. Verse five, for God alone, oh, my soul wait in silence. Verse six, he only is my rock. David's not looking for anything else. A lot of times, this is what I think we do. I know that I do this. Is that God is, uh, in my mind, functionally, particularly in times of trial, stress, uh, pain, suffering, um, unclarity, whatever it is. God's like a, a, a super source, but he's, you know, he's just like one guy on your team. You need other on your team. God's your, he's the quarterback. He, he, he's going to, that's, you got to have that. And he's got to be an all-star for you to be able to win all this. But, you know, I also need a really good offensive line. I need a good uh, running back. I need some good linebackers on defense. Uh, and I supplement God in my life. And this isn't to say that we shouldn't uh, work hard at our jobs, that we shouldn't try hard, that we shouldn't discipline ourselves. Paul says we should be buffeting our bodies and making it our slaves. We should be putting to death the deeds of the flesh. We, sh we should be active. But what are we looking to for security, for stability, for comfort, for hope? It should be nowhere else. It shouldn't be in our efforts. It shouldn't be in our uh, capacity. It shouldn't be in our relationships, our friends, our kids, our wives, our spouse, our cousins, our grandmothers, whoever it is for you. For God alone is my rock. You have no other rock, Christian, but God alone. You have no other fortress, but God alone. He alone is your salvation. You will not be co-saved. God will not get up at the ceremony at the end of time and say, I have a lot of people I want to thank for helping me do what I did. He will be thanking no one. Everyone will be thanking him. He alone is our fortress. That's, that's significant. We don't supplement God. David's not supplementing God saying, my God is my rock, but I'm also th really, really thankful for my military prowess and for my uh, my great skills with sling and spear and sword. None of that. God alone is my hope. 
That's all he wrote down. That's all that the Holy Spirit inspired. Look at verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. So he turns from preaching to himself in verses 5 and 6, and he's going to preach to the whole world. All people, trust in him at all times. Everyone, always trust in him. And then he, he says this, he, he qualifies why you should do that. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. You can pour out your heart to God and know that that will be received. It won't be scorned. It won't be rejected. It, it, it will be received. You can pour it out. And David does that. I've been spending a lot of time in book two of the Psalms lately, and that's what David's doing. He's pouring his heart out. It's a lot of suffering that he's going through, a lot of pain, a lot of enemies, a lot of um, misery. And he's just dumping it out before God. Some of it's really bad. And a lot of what he says is very raw. Some of these things, I was tempted whether or not to where I was like going to read that and go, is that in your Bible that he's praying that? We don't have time for that today. We'll get to it at a different time. But man, he's, he's pouring his heart out. Why can you do that? Because verse 8, the last line, God has a refuge for us. You spill your guts and you're inside the walls of the refuge. You're safe. I mean, in the day of, of talking about having safe spaces all the time, they're the safest of all spaces is God. Pour your heart. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. And then he goes into, in, in a sense, even qualifying that. So he's preaching to himself. He's preaching to all people. And then he's going to, He's going to qualify why we should do that. Why his preaching is not nonsense. And it's not nonsense because of who people, what human really is. What humanity really is. Look at verse 9. Those of low estate, the poor, the lowly, the hurt, the suffering, the, the insignificant, if we can say that. They're but a breath. They're just a... Those of high estate are no better off. They're a delusion. They're, they're, not even, they're a mirage. In the balances, they go up. They just go up like smoke. Together, they are lighter than a breath. That, that's what a human is. Lighter than a breath. The psalm says that in Psalm 39. I'm going to turn there and read it to you real quick. Psalm 39, verse 5. Um, again, it's David writing, and he says, Behold... You have made my days a few hand breaths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. A breath, just a... That's it. That's you, God. That's what humanity is, lighter than a breath. James 4, verse 14 uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that he, he, he's, he's, he's chastising the arrogant person who says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to a city at this certain time, and I'm going to make this much profit, I'm going to engage in this much business, I'm going to get this much out of it. And he says, you don't even know if you're going to live to tomorrow. You're a mist that appears for a little while, but then vanishes. I mean, you're just, you're fog. You're here for a little while, but as soon as the temperature changes, you're gone. That's how long you last as humans. He's putting us in right perspective, like this pandemic does. 
it puts us in right perspective. We know who we are and we know what we are, that we are frail. And he says, don't, he tells us, this is where you shouldn't put your trust. Verse 10, don't put, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. Don't, don't think that uh, worse comes to worse. You'll just scrap and claw and steal if you have to, to survive and make it happen. That if worse comes to worse, you can at least kind of shed your pretenses and make it. And you can scrap out a survival for yourself. He's like, don't put any hope in that. Don't, don't put any hope that it's that it's buried within you. That if if the if the worst happens, you can kind of shed the layers of civility and still make it happen. You can't. That you you can't provide for yourself enough in the wrong ways. But then he says in verse ten at the end of it, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Like even if you get wealthy by honest means, even if you have resources. That just you just get a big windfall. That you you have some rich uncle off in Monte Carlo, and he dies and gives you an island and a bazillion dollars. He says, "Don't put your heart on any of that." Now, did you notice the contrast? Remember, he was preaching to himself in verses five and six. He says, "Trust in God alone, O my soul." Verse eight, "Trust in Him at all times, O people." And then what does he say to not trust? Verse 10, he says, don't trust any riches. If they increase, you get a bunch of money, you have a bunch of stuff, you got a bunch of food, you got a bunch of toilet paper. That's the hot topic right now. No hope in that. Stockpiling 86 rolls of Cottonelle is not going to save you. Having more hand sanitizer than you know what to do with is not going to save you or a bank account, or a job that cannot be terminated, set not your heart on them. Where are we to set our heart? On the place that we can pour it out. Go back to verse 8. Pour out your heart before Him, and Him in who you trust, Him in who is a refuge. That's what we, that's where we set our hope and our trust. And, and this is, this is uh, the perennial problem of man. Uh, I can I can insulate myself from pain if I work hard enough, I'm smart enough with my finances and all my resources, then I can avoid suffering. I can I could never have any pain if I would just be smart enough, go to the right college, get the right degree, get the right master's degree, get the right job, working for the right amount of years, invest in the right places then come what may, I'm fine. I'm chilling because I have insulated myself against any kind of pain. And Jesus says, when he addresses that in Luke 12, I'm gonna flip over and read that to you, that your, your hope is not in what you own. We sing that song. I, don't, I can't remember if we sang that song on our last Sunday or not uh, when we gathered, but I have a distinct memory of Nathan leading us in that song. Um, that, that's taken from this verse in verse 12 or chapter 12 of Luke verse 15 when Jesus said to them take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions that's not your life my hope is not in what I own my my life is not in what I own because I can just go away nobody's wealth is protecting them from the coronavirus 
Prince William in England, the second in line to the throne of England, has coronavirus. Not, there's no hope in any of that stuff. That, that our hope is in Christ. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, Timothy, the pastor, Paul, the apostle, Paul kind of instructing his young protege, hey, these are the things I want to make sure that you understand, the things that you know to pass along to your church. He says this um, in verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not money itself. Gotta have it. You have to live by it. And it's okay if you have a lot of it. Just look at Job and Abraham. The love of money, he says, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There's no hope in it. There's no stability in it. God is the only stable. Everything else is variable. God alone is stable. Everything else is variable. And the psalmist concludes back in Psalm 62. He says, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Power and steadfast love belong to God. We're going to talk about that uh, here in a minute as one of our conclusions. But steadfast love, uh, that's something that appears throughout the Psalms. Steadfast love, love that won't uh, waver or totter or uh, uh, it's not... Um, fickle like our love is i mean honestly be honest your love that you feel that you really feel towards another it depends upon their lovableness right you're not just like over and overwhelmed with like wow i just love that person i mean they hate me <laughs> they really hate me and they are never ever reciprocating my emotion towards them but gosh I just love them so much, they make me smile. So like, that's not how we are. How, how, who do we love? People who are lovely. People who have some kind of quality in them that we desire and want nearness to. We love out of kind of selfishness. God's love is the opposite of that. It's steadfast. In the Hebrew, it's chesed. H-E-S-E-D, if you want to translate it into English. Uh, chesed love is... Uh, it, it knows no um, reciprocation, meaning that it's not because you were lovely or lovable that I love you. It's because of who I am. I just do it because that's who I am. And therefore, it's not influenced on whether or not you particularly look lovely or lovable or desirable in any way. God's love is steadfast. Can't be moved, can't be thwarted, can't be um, redirected. Because if it was, God would change. And we're going to look at our big question of the day, and the answer of it is that God can't change. So let's look at some draw, some pull-aways that we have, some takeaways from Psalm 62. Uh, we have a lot of good answers for God is, dot, dot, dot. We didn't answer everything, and, and to think that this is all that God is is to um, be very, very um, shallow. Because God is not just this, but he's not less than this. 
He's not less than our salvation, our hope, our rock, our fortress, our refuge. He's all of those things. And in times like this, we need to know that he is those things and where to go find it so that we can preach to ourselves like David. Wait in him alone because he is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is those things to us. Uh, and this other thing to take away that he repeats when he when he says him he he says it as a fact, and then when he preaches it to himself, he says, "Wait." Verse one: My soul waits in silence. Verse five: Oh, my soul, wait in silence. I saw a uh, a meme on the internet the other day that said uh, our grandparents were asked to go to war, you're being asked to stay home, you can do this. And I was like, that's, that's pretty true. I mean, what, what, what are we being asked to do? Wait it out. Just wait until the disease runs its course. Wait. And we're, ah, we're losing our minds because we can't wait. Uh, I, I think that in the, in the righteous perspective, on waiting we're not good at it i don't know i'm not good at it i want to do it let's let's get after it let's make it happen let's uh let's 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 bring about god's good but david says he's gonna wait in silence verses three and four says he has got real enemies he's got real things i don't think that that waiting means uh idleness laziness that's not it but waiting is in a sense of I've done all that I can do. I mean, look at David's life um, in the grand scheme. He gets anointed to be the next king before he fights Goliath. And then he doesn't become king. In, that, that's like First uh, Samuel 16. He doesn't become king until a few chapters into Second Samuel. He's, he's like, I've done everything. I fought the giants. I've befriended the king. Uh, I, and then he turned on me, and I am uh, best friends with his son. I'm running. I'm staying alive. These people are coming to me, and I'm kind of gathering this band of, of misfits uh, who don't have a place to be, a place to go, and, and trying to teach them the truths of God. So he's active in doing things, but he's waiting for when God is going to give him the kingdom. Now, how do we apply that to us? I'm practicing all the things the CDC says to do. I am, I'm doing everything in my work, whether I'm furloughed, whether I might be furloughed, whether I'm not furloughed, uh, or could be, or, or we're moving online, uh, and working from home is hard. I mean, I'm doing all these things, but what I can't do is not wait. I mean, I can't make this, I can't make the economy kick back up. I can't make the, the virus run its course and just leave the country. I have to wait. And I'm going to do so silently. Silently, not so much meaning that I'm not speaking, but that I'm calm. That I'm stilled. That I'm uh, patient. That really what it is, is I'm submitting to God's sovereignty. God, you made this circumstance. You directed this instance i'm just going to trust you in it I, this is what it is i i can't recreate my work environment and, and me as pastor i can't recreate church 
I, we can't just, we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. We, we can't. It's not church. This, so let's just let it be what it is. A talking head on a screen, opening up the Bible with people that he would much rather be gathered with. They're just going to embrace what it is, waiting in silence. Because we know who God is. He's our salvation. He's our hope. He's our rock. He's our refuge. That helps us wait. Knowing who, God's it, who God is, that gives us comfort in the waiting. It, it, it enables us to wait in a big way. Um, another thing to pull out, the, the variableness of life. That, that everything in life is a variable. We're, what we do, we exist to kind of eliminate variables. That I am recession-proof, I am, I am disease-proof, I'm cancer-proof, I am pain-proof. But the only constant is God. He's the only constant. Everything else is variable. Everything else can change, is changing, and will change. God is the only thing, the only one who does not change, who cannot change, who will never change, and has never changed. That's where we're being told in verse 8, to trust in him at all times. He's the only thing that's trustworthy. He's the only thing that can carry the freight of, of human existence, of pain in a fallen world. I mean, sometimes we, we put too much weight on on things or people that can't carry it. We put our identity in others, put our identity in work or sports or grades or school or looks or abilities of whatever it is, and it can't carry that freight of who you are. That's like a golf cart trying to pull a gooseneck trailer. It can't carry it. God can carry it. All of the terms that David's used to describe him here are terms of strength, rock, refuge, fortress, hope, and salvation can carry the freight of you, of who you are, of, of the pain that you feel, of the responsibilities that you have. God can carry that freight. So trust in him and don't trust in verse 10 in, in riches or health. You know, a lot of people are running around thinking like, ah, oh, I can't get sick. I'm in my 20s. I'm in my 30s. This won't bother me. I'm hearing differently from doctors. Yeah, you can get it. And yeah, if you're not paying attention, it can do some real damage. It can even kill you. You are not invulnerable. You are not invincible. You can't carry your own freight. But God can, so trust in him at all times, O peoples. And then lastly, verse 11 and 12, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Now, I think that there's a, a personality bent in this verse. My personality is bent towards, yes, God is power. All, all power belongs to God. I, I drift towards that. Other personalities are like, yes, to God belongs steadfast love. He's the only one who has steadfast love, and I can go there for that love. But what if God only had one of those? Let's think about this. Because we're, just, we're still filling in. God is dot, dot, dot. What is he? Well, he's the, the repository for all power and all steadfast love. So if the Bible tells us that, then he necessarily is both. But what if he's just one? 
What if we? What if I choose to make God one-dimensional and just look at him as powerful, strong, mighty, authoritative, wrathful, just, uh, sovereign, electing, all of those things, and I don't really consider his love, not that I necessarily reject it, but I just don't really... I don't really bring it into the discussion in my mind of who I believe God is. Remember, the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And if it's only power and no love, then what do you have? You have a tyrant. That's what you have. Because only power and no love means that he can save you, but he doesn't really care to do it. And if he is doing it, it's not because he cares. It's because he wants to be powerful. I, I don't want that kind of God. And I'm thankful that that's not who God is. But let's flip the coin. Uh, what if God is only steadfast love? That when I look at God, when I think about God, what I think about is steadfast love only. But no power. What do I have? I don't have a tyrant. I have a cheerleader. Somebody who's really excited about what is happening and has the best of intentions for what's happening on the field to turn out in a victory, but has absolutely no way to influence that victory. I don't want that kind of God either. I'm so thankful that this verse has it both. To you, O God, belong power and steadfast love, both of them, that you can save me and you want to save me. It's not that you want to save me, but you're impotent to do that. Like, oh, I would love to save you. I love you so much, but I don't have any way to bring it about. Or I can do whatever I want. I have all the power in all the universe, the unspeakable power, but no, I'm, not, I'm kind of indifferent towards you. Yeah, I can take you or leave you. I don't... I'm so thankful that that's not who God is. That's what worship is. Is like we're praising God that he is both. We're praising God for who he is. You are power and you are steadfast love. So in the midst of this, the pandemic, the instability, the, the shock of realizing, of, or of re-realizing, we all know it, but re-realizing that all of life is a variable, that God is the only constant, that our constant is powerful enough to do something about it, to be in charge and to be at the wheel of all of this. And he's loving enough to care about us in the midst of it, to actually move towards us in the midst of it and to have it be unchanged when I'm constantly changing up and down and variable all the time. What a great note to be able to end on in this psalm of of great hope and answering the question of who God is. Now let me get to that big question as we wrap up here. Our big question, I'm having to use a phone. I hate digital devices. I'm a paper kind of guy, old school. I don't have to plug in a book and a book can't run out of batteries. Phone can, but that's what I'm limited to over here. Um, but as a fun note, uh, this is an, an app that has the uh, Westminster Catechism, larger and shorter, and the Heidelberg we talked about last time. Um, so right here it has them in, then it has all the questions. I don't know if you can see it. Uh, then you click on it, and it'll give you the question, but it'll also give you references for all the statements that it makes. 
uh, and it types the verse out for you so you can just read it right there. So it's pretty handy. It's free. Uh, it's just called the uh, Catechism app, I think, or Westminster Catechism app. Um, but we're going to look at question number four from the Shorter Catechism. Now, I'm saying that word catechism, and some of y'all, I have a feeling you might have some PTSD. PTSD from uh, the Catholic Church or from uh, uh, another really high church that seemed to be very void uh, of the Spirit of God, of the vitality of the faith, of, uh, of the true teaching of the Scriptures. But don't let that bother you. Just because somebody uses a good word in a wrong way doesn't mean we throw that word out or a good idea in the wrong way. Because a catechism is just how do we teach our people what the Bible believe, what the Bible teaches? How do we get it to remember their mind? Oh, a catechism, a question and answer format. So you can use a right thing in a wrong way and we don't have to throw that baby out with the bathwater. So just because some off-the-wall churches and ideas use the idea of catechism doesn't mean that we bail on it. In the same way that we don't bail on college football just because they still let the University of Arkansas play football. Now, we're, we're not going to throw out everybody just because they're doing it wrongly. And so we're not going to throw out the word catechism or the idea of it just because other churches or denominations are using it wrongly. Now, sorry, Paul, I had to throw uh, Arkansas under the bus. It's just too easy. It's, they make it too easy every year. Anyways, question number four of the Westminster Catechism. It says this, what is God? Now, kids, ask your parents that. When we, when we hang up here, ask, who is God? That, I mean, that question is so simple, but so profound. How do we answer that? How do we describe that? A lot of times we just assume, we walk around assuming, yeah, you know what I mean when I say God, and I know what you mean when you say God. But are we talking about the same thing? That's why this catechism is a helpful tool. Here's the answer. It's not exhaustive. It's not trying to be exhaustive. It's supposed to be uh, broad. This is what it says. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's the answer. I, I, I encourage you to get that and then get it with the verse references. You can get it for free online anywhere. Or you can get that app. It's got great verse references to back up that, that fact that God is infinite, that God is eternal, that he's unchangeable, that he's, he has being. That's why the question says, what is God? The questions are written uh, in an assumption that the reader has no concept of any of this stuff, particularly because a lot of it was used for kids. Uh, so you're not assuming that a kid knows that God is a who. Kid might be thinking God is a what. So we're going to prove in our answer that God is a who and not a what, not just some impersonal force, but he's a personal God. He has being. And not just that he is a a being like we are constituted as beings, but that he has the power to be. He can be all by himself. Not just he can remain all by himself. He can be, exist all by himself. He needs no help from anybody else. He, needs, he's the, he is the, uh, the eminence of personal. But that he is, has wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. A great answer. What is God? And it's got a lot of good 
uh, verse references. It has um, nine verse references um, if you get that app. So I would encourage you to use that as a discussion element. Um, what is God? Who is God? And, and if you're going to kick that around as a family, as a couple, or f as friends, throw out there, but then call each other to the carpet. Say, hey, where's a, where's a verse reference for that? You're, you're saying that God is blank. Where's the reference for that? Not because I don't believe you, but because I want to know it for sure. And I want to I wanna be able to highlight it, mark it, and circle it so I can come back and worship the God who is that. So, well, that's our time for this morning, uh, for this week. Uh, I'm thankful that we're still able to connect like this and got to talk to some folks who, who seem to appreciate it. And so I'm, I'm happy to, to keep doing it and to keep trying to stay connected as much as possible. Do check out the children's video that the ladies made. They made another one. That's awesome work that they're doing just to bless our families and young kids at church to help the kids feel and stay connected. So check that out. It should have come in your email from Nathan. Uh, if you didn't get it, then email Nathan directly or email me or call Nathan or whoever. We'll make sure that we can get that to you so that your kids can stay up to date on uh, what we're going through with our Sunday school because it's awesome work that, uh, that, that April and Laura have done. So um, that's, all, that's all we got for today. Hello, looking forward to getting, hopefully, to see everybody soon as this passes by. Everybody stay safe. Let us know, myself or any of the elders, call us or email us um, if there's needs that arise or prayer requests or opportunities to serve uh, in ways that we can do so that are safe um, and, uh, and feasible. We want to be want to be all over that. We want to love our neighbors well, and that means staying away from them mostly right now. Um, but that may mean that that we uh, we serve, get out and serve in some creative way. So if that kind of pops up for you, let us know. Uh, we want to still be a light in our community in McKinney uh, and surrounding Northern DFW area. I will pray for us, uh, and then we will be done. So pray with me, Father in heaven. We're so grateful uh, that. 102 years ago, the church just had to go without any kind of um, fabricated connection. So we thank you now for a fabricated connection of getting to um, talk through phones, um, other digital means, and, and live stream on Facebook, and it's all pretty cheap, if not free. Lord, thank you for that, that we can stay connected in this pandemic, in ways that they were not able to stay connected in 1918 during that pandemic. Father, I pray that we would take Psalm 62 to heart and we would, we would linger long over the open pages of a Bible on Psalm 62 to, to just reflect on, on what waiting is and that we're not waiting on a maybe, that we're waiting on a surety, a God who is rock, fortress, refuge, hope and salvation and we know that salvation comes to us through the lord jesus christ that your son who is truly god paid our penalty that faith in him might save us will save us from from what we are owed which is eternal destruction father we are so grateful uh, for these truths we're so grateful that you are power and steadfast love that you're not one or the other, that you are both in fullness in all those ways. So Lord, you are rightly the recipient of our worship and you are the constant in our lives. Increase our faith, 
Let us heed the words of David to trust in you at all times and put no hope in material resources, wealth, or money. Father, bless us during this time and help us to continue enduring this pandemic. And we pray uh, for the good of our, our community, state, and country, and the globe that this um, pandemic would be over soon, but that it would be used mightily of you to draw many souls to yourself, many, many people to come to saving faith in Jesus because of this, this uh, unmissable sign of our frailty and need of a savior by the presence of a pandemic. So our bless, bless us and, and give us strength to continue worshiping you um, through this difficult season. And we pray this all in Christ's name, amen.